chapter 8, uh, we talked about what causes a seared conscience. We have been looking at that aspect, looking at a number of different things as we came through John chapter 8, all connecting around the leadership of the nation of Israel and their attitude toward uh, the Lord Jesus Christ when he came to be Israel's Messiah. And I began to tell you, you know, what you want to look for, uh, specifically in your own self, because, you know, the thing that everybody has to guard against is getting the wrong attitude about things. People are uh, people are the weirdest people on the planet. I mean, it's if things just don't go their way, if they just don't get everything they want the way they think they should, you know, and I will tell you right now, nothing hurts the work of God more than a bad attitude. Amen. And it's something that, uh, you know, those old four things that I gave you, flexibility, adaptability, and right on down the line, that's the key to keeping your attitude the way that it needs to be. Things change, things happen, and things don't always go the way we want them to go. And yet, um, you know, developing an attitude about it is not the way to handle it and uh, doesn't, doesn't add to the smoothness of things. It just adds to the confusion of things. So it's a thing where, you know, and we talked about how that, that seared conscience can happen to an unsaved man or it can happen to a saved man. And that, uh, you know, it's when it, your spirit uh, goes against uh, the heart of God that's in you that wants to do the right thing. And, uh, and we saw this pattern develop, as I said, within the leaders of the nation of Israel uh, against the truth of God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have examined every facet of their attitude and how they have turned completely against uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw where Jesus told them, uh, you know, uh, because of their rejecting him, the truth that they would die in their sins. And we talked about the aspect of that, and we know now that a saved man cannot die in their sins. That's a term exclusively for unsaved people. But as I said, from Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7, uh, a saved person can certainly die with their sins. And that is unconfessed sin that in their life that they don't take care of with God uh, in their everyday walk with Him. And how that you know, they, it, it had come to the place when God tried to convict them by going to the Word of God and whatever He wrote on the ground, which we probably know is out of the Old Testament, that they walked away. The conviction was enough to make them to leave. This is very important. The conviction was enough to make them leave the presence of God, but the conviction was not enough to change them. And that's, uh, that's really the key. Real biblical conviction will bring change. And when it does not, then you've got to look at what the real issue is in your life to try to sort that all out. And as with the leaders of Israel, in time, you get so hardened and cold to the Word of God that it, it no longer affects you. You can be gone now out of church for a month, two months, three months, and there's nothing inside you that really says, hey, you're, you need to get back to church. You're busy doing your thing, going where you want to go, doing all the things, and you have just completely turned off anything that's important to uh, your life when it comes to the Lord. And yet, uh, people who do that, and I've met them all my life in my 50-some years, you know, they're some of the nicest people you'd ever want to meet in your life. It's just when it comes to God, they have no use for Him anymore. And that's a sad state of affairs. I think the life of David is a, is a study that everybody ought to take at some point in your life. And if I might suggest, I think the greatest book, and there's some really good ones out there, but I think the greatest book that uh, I ever used to do it was uh, by, by Arthur W. Pink. It's a very thick book, but it's, he's just really good with the practical things between David's life and the things that we go through. You know, in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, the Bible says that, that he was a man after God's own heart. It says in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, that David did what was right all the days of his life except in the matter of the Uriah the Hittite. And we know standing here that that's not true. We know that there was plenty of things in his life when, uh, that uh, he did that was wrong. And we also know that he was times in his life that he was not a man after God's own heart from our standpoint. 
it teaches you to look at somebody, and you know, I get it, but at the bottom line is at the end of the day, what really only matters is what God thinks of you Amen. and your relationship with him. And, uh, and I'll tell you right now, I'm going to tell you the real key to those two verses because he was far from perfect. And he was far from somebody that uh, always did what was right. And even though God covers all of that through the relationship that he does have, and I'm going to tell you why. And this is something that everybody ought to learn today and you ought to take home with you if you don't hear anything else that I've got to say. I don't care how far David strayed. I don't care how far he got out in left field, right field, center field, or maybe in the bleachers. I don't care. God could always squeeze his heart through conviction and bring tears to his eyes. He never got so hard that God couldn't touch him. And that is because of the fundamental relationship he had with the Word of God that when the tough times did come, his relationship with the book would override the things that came into his life. And it's a great lesson for all of us. God could always bring him to tears And those tears led to tears of repentance. And uh, I'm telling you, you never want to get so far from God that he can't touch you as his child. And uh, yet it happens, man. It happens. And it happens more than you could ever imagine with God's people today because we have this great umbrella or shell of Christianity that pretends we can pretend that everything is okay. But inside is where the real problem is. And unlike David, the leaders of Israel, and this is another thing you want to learn, they're totally not connected to David in any way, shape, or form, but they're always bragging about how they are. David, our father, you know. They like to connect historically back to David, but spiritually there is no, there is no connection. It's a lot like God's people today or pastors that you you see, who want to connect themselves with the Apostle Paul. And yet they're nothing like the Apostle Paul. They're living in $500,000 million homes, driving big cars and living uh, in the only stocks and bonds that Paul ever had were the ones on his hands and his feet. And uh, yet they they want you to believe or people to believe that they're connected to Paul. Nothing could be farther from the truth. And in both cases, like we talked about, They have a form of godliness, but they don't have any power of God in their life. And they have lost all reality and complete understanding of anything now that that God is doing. And we see this so clearly at the first coming of Christ. (laughs) My favorite phrase through this chapter has been, some things never change. And then I talked about, uh, uh, you know, completely losing touch with the seven things that God loves. And then the seven things that God hates, which are clearly defined into the Bible. And also, uh, you know, remembering what God did, where we all came from, and the miracles that God has done in our lives. Forgetting all the things God has done uh, for them, the nation of Israel, uh, through their years of bondage. In fact, as I showed you last week, to their mindset, they ever were in bondage. What a mess, and what a picture that is of God's people, not only back then, but unfortunately, today. And for us, many times, it's the same way and the same things. We get so far out there that you forget uh, who we really are and the people God has used in your life to get you where you are. And it's an easy thing that happens. And we talked about the first warning sign for us and for the nation of Israel, too. And that is that they, you know, but for us, it's the first thing that happens is you start staying away from church. You find excuses, things to do uh, that, uh, you know, that, uh, that takes you out of the church on Sunday. And uh, you either lose sight of or forget, or maybe you never knew that that's God's New Testament structure in, in, structure in developing and keeping you where God wants you to be. And, uh, you know, it's a thing where in time you then develop an attitude toward it that it doesn't bother you anymore. First couple of times you thought, man, I should be in church. After four or five times you said, eh, you know, I'll get back. And then after eight or nine, ten times, you don't even think about it anymore. And that's the way it works. And in time, just like the leaders of Israel, you become cold, you become hard, you become indifferent. And uh, then you get to that point where at some place along the line you sear that conscience. 
that nothing bothers you anymore. You just blow right through anything the Holy Spirit of God tries to do in your world. And then we saw the answer to all of this was found in chapter 8, verse 32. And uh, we talked about this where he said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. At the first coming of Christ, Jesus was the deliverer they'd been looking for all through the Old Testament. Why, there are over 800 verses in the Old Testament, probably more, that point to him coming to the nation of Israel. But now, at the first coming of Christ, they have, they have rejected the Old Testament scriptures and are looking uh, to an unbiblical class of Old Testament biblical scholars who hate God, described the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who hate God and His truth, and uh, they live for one purpose, and that is to get rid of the Word of God. And as I've said many, many times, some things never change because we see that's exactly what the problem is today. Okay, having said that, and we looked at that to bring us connected together here today, we're again going to be back in John chapter 8. And yet one more time, we're going to see uh, the bottom line of all their hatred for the Word of God, uh, the Son of God, the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, John chapter 1, verse 14. This chapter has been a great chapter for showing us the real issues behind His rejection at the first coming of Christ. And I think it's so vital for us to see and understand it because we're seeing the same thing before the second coming of Christ. And all the parallels, the then and now, see, of both saved and lost, the bottom line of rejecting the Word of God today and replacing it with another a Bible that has nothing to do with God or the Word of God. So I want to read our text today, and I want to look at one of what I think is the greatest verses in the Bible that will open up so many avenues of study today, and you'll see it. We'll get into a few of them, but they're pretty much endless. This, is, this one verse, as far as I'm concerned, dealing with unsaved people and the situations that you face is, is, says it all when it comes to unsaved religious leaders and also the world system. You know, the fundamental issue behind everything going on around us today and most certainly a key verse for life. So uh, let's read John chapter 8, verse 44, uh, down through verse 47, and uh, we'll get it from there. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your fathers ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear him not, because ye are not of God. Now, Father, help us today to uh, begin to put these, this passage together into an understandable format that we can learn from it, grow from it, correct ourselves from it, and, uh, Lord, apply it to us the way that you would have it to, to be applied and I will be careful to give you the honor and the glory and the praise now. In Jesus' name, for his sake, we ask it. Amen. Now, I went over the next couple of weeks to look at this passage here, and we're going to talk about three or four different things out of it. Uh, and to get a better understanding of what's in the passage, and as I've said, how that we're going to apply it. Now, the first thing we need to understand here is the fundamental concept in, in, the, in the world system that there are two spiritual families. And I know most of you know this, but some, many of you, maybe you do not. There are two fundamental spiritual families in the world. Now, I know the world physically is made up of millions and millions and millions and millions of families, but you take in a spiritual realm, in a spiritual world, there are only two spiritual families. God's and the devils. And you're going to find that in life, in the world, uh, in the things that go on. Uh, it really doesn't make, life, you know, looks like it's complicated. All that's going on around us looks like it's complicated. It really isn't. It just comes down to which family's running it. And that's simply that simple. And what he does here in this passage that will open up a great study on unsaved people uh, and the world system, as he references it back to 
Cain in Genesis chapter 4. And this is what this is what you want to learn about your Bible, and I talk about this to you all the time. Here's an Old Testament story that will lay out and illustrate a New Testament principle. And this is how you do it. You find a verse, and then if you can, and sometimes they don't, but in many cases they do, you want to always look to see if there's an Old Testament story that illustrates that principle. Because when you find that, then you have everything that you need to to make everything uh, everything work for you and put it together. And you see it all the time. And really, it's the key to unlocking your scriptures. Now, I'm not going to say that every verse you find, you're going to find a story. But I am saying this, every verse you find that's noteworthy, you ought to look and see if you can find a story. I mean, it's just that simple. Now, historically, Cain here, we know his story is back in Genesis chapter 4. And Uh, what we know and see in John chapter 8, verse 44, that there is a connection here. He says in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the wicked one, and the lust of your fathers ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. So when we look at the story in Genesis chapter 4, we know immediately from 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, that Cain was of that wicked one. We see in John chapter 4, verse 8, that he was a murderer from the beginning. We see that there is no truth in him. We see in Genesis 4, 9, that he is a liar. And we know that he's the father of lies. And now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 4, you will see how this story in verse 8, 44, really go together. So, let's go back to Genesis chapter 4. Allow me to read here the first uh, 15 verses here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll begin to look at this, and we'll make the comparison back and show you how that you take a New Testament verse or passage or principle, and you find a story like this one, and it opens itself up to you. Now, here's what it says, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain uh, and his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. And when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, And uh, from the face I shall be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass when every man that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest finding him uh, he should be killed. Now, this is a great passage here, and I don't even know where to begin to go with this. There's so many good things in here, but let's just start with this. Cain will be our first example in the Bible of three things, and you want to get this down. The first picture that he is is that Cain is a picture or a type of the Antichrist. You'll notice in verse 15 that he gets a mark. And that mark will be connected 
you know, in Revelation uh, connected with the Antichrist. So he is a picture and a type of the Antichrist. He's of his father, the devil, so the Antichrist. So we got all that there. We don't have time to get into that. We could spend a couple of months on that one. The second thing, and this is what we want to focus on today, he's a picture of an unsaved man. And then the third type that he's a picture of, he's a type of the nation of Israel who kills Christ, Abel. And, uh, you know, and so he's a picture of the, what we're studying here in the Gospels, especially in John chapter 8. Now, all this, as far as how we want to look at it, and we're going to talk about him as a fact of an unsaved man here, uh, going back to John eight forty four. But this is a really good pattern for all of us. And you hear me talk about learning the patterns of the Bible. The pattern of an unsaved man who is religious or just worldly, and the verse John 8, 44 in this story, which will lay out the pattern for you. This is how you use patterns. Laying it out verse by verse. Getting a verse and then getting a story that illustrates the passage and then setting the two down and let the story illustrate for you what the verse, or vice versa. It goes both ways. Now, let's look at verse 1 and 2 here. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, Cain is, it's remarkable because we know about the law first mentioned that the first time you find something in the Bible that it's key and you want to mark it because you want to use it because it'll always stay consistent. Okay. Cain and Abel are the first sets of twins in the Bible. And uh, you want to mark that down. And there's a lot of guys that would argue with that who don't believe the Bible and they would say, well, there's no place that it says they're twins like you saw in Jacob and some of the other places. But I beg to differ with you if you know your Bible, if you believe your Bible. If you look at 4.1, it says, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother Abel. There's two births here, but there's only one conception. And in the Bible, they always list the birth and the conception separately. So when the King James Bible is trying to show you something that they didn't want the scribes and the Pharisees to see and get, he's showing you that there's two births here, but there's only one conception. That would lead me to believe that they are twins, which they obviously are. And uh, these two boys now are going to represent the two families, spiritual families, uh, in John chapter 8, verse 44, God's family and the devil's family. And the first thing that you want to note is the occupation of both of them. I think this is very important. This is how you do it now, guys. This is what you do. You stop, you look at it, and don't just blow through it. You go back and you start asking yourself and looking at key things. Abel is a sheep herder, or he keeps sheep. Cain is a farmer. He tills the ground. Now, trained eye. When I, if I would read that, I would know right out of the gate that there's going to be something probably amiss here because I know what sheep represent. And I also know that Cain is making his living out of the ground. And from Genesis 3, 17, I have been told the ground is now cursed. And uh, it, that would not, in my mind, just thinking it, that would not be the best place to find a sacrifice for God out of something that's cursed. It's like worshiping God out of something that has a curse on it, like the new Bibles. And it's a thing where, or something in the world system. And what, what we have here is the fact that right out of the gate, we see there's going to be a problem. We can begin to see developing these two families. They're, they may have came from the same uh, mother, but they're completely different in their fathers. And now we begin to see John chapter 8, verse 44, begin to unfold itself. Now the second thing you need to see, verse 3, 4, and 5. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the first things of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. 
But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So some time passes here. And uh, the crops come in. The sheep are getting fatter. And they both decide to give an offering unto the Lord. Now that tells me something in itself. It tells me that both of them have some kind of an awareness of God. And remember now, it's just been, oh, I don't know, maybe 5, 15, 20 years since the mom and dad was kicked out of the garden. And here they are now. And, uh, and it's a thing where uh, they decide that they're going to give an offering to the Lord. And uh, Cain, he, he brings the fruit of his labors from the ground. And I guarantee you, he probably had the best fruits and vegetables around in that country. I mean, I bet they were spectacular. And of course, we now know that Abel, he brings of the firstlings of the flock. And then we see that God rejects Cain's offering. And he won't accept his fruits and vegetables. And uh, it's a picture of a man trying to take his own works out of the ground, which is cursed, your flesh. Remember, man came from the dust of the ground. And it's a picture of a man trying to take from his own labors through his flesh and bring in something to God that God will accept for his salvation. And of course, the old saying that you don't hear it much anymore, but us older folks used to hear it all the time. They used to say, you can't get blood out of a turnip. How many heard that phrase? Everybody over 60. <laughs> Not exactly. And that's true. You know what Cain tried to do? Try to get blood out of a turnip. And of course, you know, people have asked me all my life, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you know, you just showed your ignorance to the Bible. That's Cain. But see, he tried to get blood out of a tournament. 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 He went to a turnip tournament and tried to win first place, but he didn't make it. But Abel brings a lamb. Firstlings of the flock, verse 4. And he offers something innocent by shedding its blood for his sin at his offering. And God has respect and accepts Abel's offering, but will never accept the works of a man's hands for an offering of his salvation. Now, you can see how clear that is. That does not take Greek or Hebrew. It does not take any education at all. It just takes the third grade reading ability, and you can see. One brings of the ground. The other one brings something innocent, sheds its blood, obviously a lamb. And uh, God says, I'll accept that. I won't accept that. Why? Here's the biblical principle. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy has he saved us by washing of regeneration by renewing of the Holy Ghost. You can't get to heaven by your good works. You can't join a church and say, that'll get me to heaven. You can't get baptized and say, now my sins are washed away and I'm going to get to heaven. What shall wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, By grace are you saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. See, that's Cain's problem. Now, Cain's mad. He's upset. He's wroth. He didn't get his own way. Something happened in his life that he thought he was going to be accepted, and he was not. And now he's upset. Now he's got an attitude. And uh, here we begin to see the real issue. And the real issue, whether you're saved or lost, will always be your attitude. How do you rock and roll with the things that come in your life and the things that you do? And when you do something wrong, Hey, you know what? And it's, 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 it's not somebody else's fault. And that's the way you got to look at it. And here we begin to see the real issue, his attitude to what God wanted for him. Oh, this is so good. His attitude to what God wanted him to do. Do you realize that that's where it starts with all of us? 
Once you get saved, he began a good work in you. He has something that he wants you to do. And the real battle between God's people will be what God wants for you versus what you want for you. And boy, there's where the battle starts. And here Cain is an unsaved man, but yet at the same time you see these qualities in God's people or <laughs> lack of qualities, I guess. And I want you to see this. Cain's not in ignorance. I've heard a lot of writers or read a lot of writers that they feel sorry for Cain because he's the, they make, try to make him the victim. Now, I don't know what your problems are today, and I don't know what issues you have or what you're upset at or who you're upset at, but I can just tell you this. There are no victims here this morning. A real victim is defined in the Bible, and we ain't it. We got the, the messes that we got in because we didn't do what we needed to do the way we should have did it, the time we should have did it. So let's just be clear about that. So he's not ignorant of this thing. Uh, his mom and dad, I guarantee you, had told the story many times of what happened in the garden. They were sitting around a campfire, and as they were growing up, they, they saw you know, the garden that they were expelled from. They saw all that stuff over there. And they would ask the questions that all little kids with. And mom and dad probably over and over and over again told the story of them being dispersed out of that garden and why. And he knew. He knew. And he knew that God, He, I'm sure they told the story that when we disobeyed God and we knew we were now sinners, we went out and got some fig leaves to cover our nakedness because now we knew we were naked. So we took the fruit leaves off of a tree to cover our nakedness. And you know what, boys? God met us and said, that ain't going to work. That won't cover your nakedness. So you know what he did? He took a lamb and he killed that lamb and he made and covered our nakedness through the death of something was innocent by the shedding of the blood. He knew that story. You kidding me? You're telling me that this man couldn't decide the fig trees of fruit and, and all the stuff, and he's trying to bring it when God wouldn't allow that for his own parents to cover their nakedness? It took something innocent to die. In fact, this is where you connect it. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. You know what they call it over there when it talks about Israel's salvation? The garments of salvation. You betcha. Fig leaves in the Bible is a picture of man's self-righteousness. So when they grabbed the fig leaves and made them aprons to cover their nakedness, there again, that's a picture of an unsaved man trying to cover his nakedness before God with something that he did. And God said, that ain't going to work. He killed something and covered him by the shedding of blood. Cain knew that. He wasn't oblivious to that. He realized that it was man's self-righteousness as for getting God's righteousness. He rejected what he knew to be true. Listen now. He rejected what he knew to be true. And through his pride, thinks that his vegetable stand is going to be good enough to get him to heaven. And when it's the shedding of blood that is for our remission of sin. The bottom line, he saw what God did accept. He saw what God did with his own brother. And he just had an attitude about it and said, you know what? I'm going to stick with my fruit stand. Now watch this. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why hast thou countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt not thou be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, what a great insight into God's mercy and grace. God had every right to come down and just whack him. He had every right to come down and just rip him one side up down the other and just go over and over about what he knew to be right and knew to be true and then what he did and just throw him in the lake of fire. 
But oh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, come let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. I mean, this is a picture of God at his best. In spite of what he knew, Cain, in spite of what he didn't do, God's still trying to give him a chance. And then, (laughs) you got to love the way it is. God says to him, why, why, why has thy countenance fallen, Cain? Now, God knew why his countenance had fallen. He wanted to see if Cain would fess up and say why it was fallen. You know, the first thing that goes on you when your attitude is your face? I mean, you can tell when you got the joy, 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 joy down in your heart. Or you're like those Babylonian Jews over there when they say, why don't you sing us one of the songs of Zion? And they says, how can we sing the songs of Zion when we're living in a strange land? See, that's what happens. You get in a strange land and you can't sing those songs anymore. Oh, it's a great thing. It's just great. He says, why is thou countenance fallen? He's saying, Cain, hey, hey, buddy, there's no reason to be upset. What are you mad about? God says in verse 7, hey, if, if you do well, you'll be accepted. God didn't slam the door. God didn't say, that's it. You had your shot. You're going to hell. He didn't do that. Aren't you thankful he didn't do that to you and me the first time you rejected? But that's God, see? There's no reason to get mad. No real problem here. He's simply saying, look, buddy, you go get the right offering. Sell those beautiful apples and melons and oranges and grapes you got there. Go sell those. Go to your brother and buy a lamb. Bring it and make the sacrifice. It's okay. There's no reason for you to get an attitude about anything. Hey, I'll accept it. Now, that's God at his best. You know what that is right there? That's free will. If anything ever, and I always knew Calvinism and predestination was, was bunk, but if anything ever really reinforced it to me, not that it needed to, I think it's more laughable and comical. They're always talking about, well, you're predestined to be saved or you're predestined not to be saved. You're predestined to be in that car accident or you're not predestined to be in that car accident. You're predestined to do this, or you're not predestined to do that. Oh, and these guys, I, I have friends that are just live by that right up to covert 19. And then they lock themselves away in a house, wouldn't go to the store, wouldn't go out to eat, wouldn't go anywhere, be around anybody. Wore masks in the house. If they did go out, they had to change clothes in the garage before they came in. Hey, if you really believe in predestination, you're going to get it or you're not going to get it. I mean, you could, you could put yourself up in a, you know, in saran wrap. And if God, if you're predestined to get it, you're going to get it. And you know what? If you're not predestined to get it, you can go out and do whatever you want to do, not wear a mask, not do anything, and you're not get it. But you see... This is where you see the fallacy of this. It works right to it comes pushed comes to shove. Crazy stuff, man. Crazy. And I'll tell you something about God and his love for us. You see, he knows Cain brought the wrong sacrifice. He knows Cain's got the wrong attitude. He knows that he's of that wicked one and he knows how he came into the world and by whom. And he knows that he's a liar. And he knows literally that he's of his father the devil, yet he gives him a chance. Now, if I may just speak personal here, and I can't speak for you, nor would I presume to, but you know what that tells me about God and his love for me? and you, but you're on your own. It tells me that from the beginning, God knew I couldn't bring the right sacrifice. 
It tells me from the get-go, I was destined to go to the lake of fire. It, to me, it wasn't like the TV program, heaven or not. No, it was heaven or hell. And God knew that I would never be able to bring the right sacrifice. And he knew that most of my life, I had the wrong attitude. And he knew, John chapter 8, verse 44, that my spiritual family was the devil and I was of his family the devil. He knew that I was born in sin, destined to uh, be the enemy of God and go against God all my life. Romans chapter 2 says that I am enmity with God, the enemy of God on the great chapter on the Gentiles. And yet, in spite of all of that, he came and said to me, come let us reason together. I was all these things that Cain is. And yet God loved me enough to give me a choice. He said, hey, Bob, <laughs> you're in the wrong family. And because you're in that family, the lust of that family you're going to do. You're in a family that the guy that's the head of that family is a murderer from the beginning. There's no truth in him, and that's the family you're in. And what you need to do is you need to quit thinking you're better than what you are. You need to accept yourself as the sinner you are. You need to realize that nothing in your hand that you bring I'm going to accept and then you just need to come to the cross and my death on the cross and my shedding of my innocent blood for you will take you from that family to my family. And brother, bless God, that's what I did. I may have had a lot of attitudes in my life before I got saved, but I won't tell you what, that day, thank God I had the right attitude and I knew my, my salvation and my fruits of my labors wasn't going to cut it with me and God. I remember preaching this message years and years and years and years ago at some church. I can't even remember where it was. And I was preaching this message, and I got up there, and I talked about the fact, and I said to the people, folks, if you're here today and you're, under, you're unsaved, your spiritual name is devil. And I said, if you're here today and you are saved, your spiritual name is the Lord Jesus. And preach the message all around that. I started that way. Afterwards, this dear old, I never did find out if she was saved or not, but she came up to me, some very year old lady, she's probably in her 70s or 80s, you know, probably long dead by now, and she came up, and she shook her finger in my face, and she says, young man, she says, I'm offended at what you said about me being in the devil's family. I said, well, ma'am, I'm sorry. She says, no, she says, I think I'm really upset about that, and I said, well, I understand. She says, you do? And I said, yeah. I was upset the first time somebody told me I was in a devil's family, and what I did, I changed families. Amen. So my advice to you is, dear, why don't you change families? No, she didn't say it was good. You said it was good. She didn't like it. She left. But it was good. Amen. Now look at verse 7. Oh, this is a good one. And Cain, if you don't do what's right then sin lieth at the door. Now, you know doors in the Bible will always represent opportunities. And you have this morning, whatever state you're in, if you're lost, you have two opportunities. One of them is to get saved or the other one is to reject God. And they're both doors that you have to walk through. You do what's right with the truth of God's word and you walk through the door of salvation. You'll find that in John chapter 10. Right there, a door. The door of salvation. You reject the truth and go your own way like Cain did and then you go through the door of sin and ungodliness. Verse 7. Now don't tell me that life is complicated. <laughs> it's simply Sitting here for you this morning, whatever state you're in, saved or lost, you got two doors. You either go through the door of salvation or you go through the door of sin that's just lying there waiting for you to come its way. Now, the next thing you want to mark in your Bible, if you don't have it already marked here, is in verse 7 you find the word sin. This is the first time you find the word sin in your Bible. 
And the first time you find the word sin in your Bible, it's not talking about some unrelated concept. It's talking about you and where you're going to spend eternity by the door you walk through. For an unsaved man, there's two doors in life, the door of sin and the door of salvation. After you get saved, you have two doors in your life as a Christian. You have the church of the open door, Revelation chapter 3, or you have the church of the closed door, and you get to choose. You get to choose out of two Bibles. One of them is God, the other one's the devil, see? Two families, two choices. Now, for a moment, let's look at verse 8, and let's look at Cain's response to the offer God so graciously gave him in spite of his bad sacrifice, not to mention his bad attitude. And Cain, now God just told you, if you do what's right, we're good, and we'll make the sacrifice, and everything will be fine. Look this. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Now, that's an amazing verse. Now, the Bible doesn't give a lot of details in on this, so you got to kind of know what you know from everything else you know in the Bible. But that must have been some conversation. I mean, uh, I, I know exactly what they talked about, and it's not even in the Bible, but I know what's on the heart of a man who just gets saved versus what's on the heart of a man who rejects God's salvation. I'm not an idiot. And I'll tell you, oh, Cain, oh, Abel's out there watching those sheep, and he's, 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 he got down in his heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And the sheep are going, boy, down in my heart. I mean, he's having a great time. <laughs> you say, God wouldn't do that. Oh, I don't know. God had an ass talk one time, preached a good message. Probably bet both preachers are preaching today, but that's another message. So Cain comes along. You can just see him coming. Oh, I'm God. Well, I just and Cain, Cain says, "Hey, buddy, come on over, brother. How's it going today?" Cain says, "Well, it ain't going very good." What's the matter, man? Well, I'm just going to tell you, you know, you gave your sheep and, and he said, God said he'll take yours and I, I labored. You don't know how, you know how much I labored for all those things and God wouldn't take mine. And he, he just wouldn't take it. And, Cain, and Abel says, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but you know what? No problem. Here, take one of my lambs. Take one and, and go do what God, did God t- talk to you? Yeah, God said if I brought the right one, then here, have one of mine. You don't have to pay for it. Just take mine. And Cain said, no, I ain't taking mine. If God ain't going to accept mine, then that's just the way it's going to be. I'll show him. I'll leave the church. <laughs> I won't talk to him anymore. I won't, I won't have anything to do with him anymore. I'll quit tithing too. I'll show him. And it's a thing where, you know, it's a thing where I just, you know, I just, I just tell you right now, I'm just, I'm really upset. This thing really offended me and I'm offended. And a preacher said something to me that he shouldn't have said. He says, I was of my father the devil. And he, he said, I needed this and needed that. And said, my fruit was no good and all that stuff. And he, he told me I should have known back here. Hey, I'm going to tell you what. You know what? I don't need this. I really don't. So I just, he can just do whatever he wants to do with this. And, and Abel puts his arm on him and says, brother, it's okay. He says, get your arm off me. He says, no, man, what's the matter with you? He says, it's, it's okay. God loves you. And boy, about that time, boy, those old blood vessels on Cain's head began to pop out, boy, and he's feeling around down there, and he picks up a big old rock, and he says, he loves me? Does he love you? Yes, he does. Well, good. Is he going to take care of you? Yes, he will. Good. Let's see how well he takes care of you now, and he took him by the shirt and smashed him across the head with that rock. His brother fell on the ground dead. Cain looked at that rock and threw it down and says, now we'll see. Now we'll see. Third thing you want to mark, Cain is your first murderer in the Bible. Okay? Now we'll just throw this in, uh, number four. 
Bible doesn't say this, but I can guarantee it pretty close. Cain is probably the first guy in the Bible who sears his conscience with a hot iron. Guy said at one time, he says, man, I can't even imagine a hatred for the Word of God driving somebody to kill people that don't, that don't follow, that believe what they believe. And I said, are you kidding me? Where you been all through church history? Well, the Roman Catholic Church killed millions of them, burned them at the stake, cut their heads off, did terrible things to them, all because of the Bible they believed. Don't give me that. Where you been all your life? Now look at verse 9 and 10. So Cain's out there walking back down the road, you know, mumbling to himself, and right on the trail comes the Lord out of the, out of the little thicket there. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he says, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now, Trained eye. Where is thy brother Abel? Sounds very familiar that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they're hiding from God in Genesis 3, 9, that the Lord comes walking in the garden of the cool in the day and says, Adam, where art thou? Now, I just got to tell you this, and I'm sure you're an intelligent individual, so you'll figure this out. But in both cases, Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve and here, God knows exactly where his brother is, and he knows exactly what happened. You see, that one of the great qualities about God is he always knows where we're at and what we've done, and when he confronts us with it, he wants to see if we're honest enough to admit it and deal with it. One of the great principles of life, God always gives us a chance to fess up. That's one of the important things about going to church and not taking the church out of your life and not being there and not being around God's people. Because you know what this service is today, other than being astounding? <laughs> it's your chance to fess up. It's your chance to fess up. Because the Lord's asking you this morning just like he asked him and just like he asked, where are you this morning? And see, if you're not here, then you don't have to answer that question. But it's hard not to answer it when you're sitting here, isn't it? And Cain's response is a pattern response used by his brethren for the next 6,000 years, saved and unsaved, brother. They get that seared conscience and get that attitude toward God and the things of God, whether you're saved or you're lost. He says, hey, where's your brother Abel? And he says, I know not. Am I, brother's, am I my brother's keeper? He's a liar. He knows where he's at. He, just, he knows where he's at. No, you're not your brother's keeper. You're your brother's murderer, smart mouth. And, and you'll see it in Cain's life, and you'll see it in the people that are like Cain in his life, saved and lost. I'll see somebody that hasn't been around for three or four or five weeks, you know, and I'll, I'll say, hey, I missed you. And they'll say, yeah, I wasn't there. I'll say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. And you'll say, yep, I, uh, I, I wasn't there. No kidding. And then you just sit there and look, stand there and look at me with that stupid grin on your face like you just said something. When the bottom line is, my next question would be, why has that countenance fallen? Why are you not happy like you once were? Why are you not have the joy of the Lord in your heart? How's your family doing? How's your marriage doing? How's your own personal life doing? Is it better out there than it was in here? I see you'll probably say yes. You know why? Because you've seared your conscience and you forgot all the things that God did for you here. 
if you have kids and they're saved, they didn't get saved out there in the world. They got saved here probably. You probably may have gotten saved here. Certainly if you're already saved, God revealed himself to you here. Is he revealing himself out there to you? Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, is he really revealing himself to you? Do you really have that joy, 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 joy down in your heart that instead of just fessing up and saying, yeah, I'm not where I need to be. I really need some help getting there. You give those smart aleck answers like Cain did. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, if I'd have been God at that time, I'd have slapped his head into the next galaxy. But that's the difference between me and God. I don't like smart aleck answers. I like honest answers. I like dumb answers. But smart aleck answers, when you and I both know the truth, ain't going to get you anywhere. But that's why I walk around with my hands in my pocket, so I don't slap you in the face. Look at verse 10. The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now, to really understand this, and we don't have time to do this this morning, you need to go back to Numbers 35, 33, Genesis 2, 7. Man was, man was made out of the dust of the ground, so Numbers 35 says when somebody murders somebody that their blood it cries out from the ground because that's where it came from. And if you don't kill the murderer, then the blood cries out. It's a, it's a whole study, but we don't have time to get into that today. And then with... All we have, we have here, John 8, 44, look at where it goes, and it always goes this way. Verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. You know, that's where it always is going to lead to. If you just don't get honest with God and you still perpetuate this idea that it's everybody here is wrong and you're okay, and by the way, this is the fifth thing you want to mark down, that he's first in, he's the first man that ever left the presence of God. Now, the trained eye. Out of my old King James 1611. Now, look at that phrase, went out from the presence of the Lord. You know, in, over there in Job chapter 1, verse 6 and 12, when the devil came before the Lord to present himself to try to castigate on Job, you know that it says almost the exact same thing here, that he leaves the presence of the Lord. This guy's just doing what his father did in both cases. Cain goes out to build a city, chapter 4, verse 17. That's the sixth thing. That's the first city in the Bible. And you got to know that the first city in the Bible was built by a murderer. And God's program was never a city. God's program was a, was a garden. Never a city. God's program was a garden that bore fruit, that you could eat the fruits and eat all that stuff and have all you want. God never designed a city. A murderer did. Because God knew that you can't eat asphalt. And everything you eat in the city comes from guess where? You betcha, the farm, the garden. And so it's a thing where, you know, that uh, this is why you have such high murder rates in the cities. Chicago, New York, Kansas City, wherever you want to go. And it's a thing where the first city was built by a murderer. And uh, Satan goes forth in Job chapter 2, and when he goes forth, he, he goes forth to destroy the people of God. And Cain builds a city that winds up being Babylon who also destroys the people of God. Can't beat the book. Now, some great lessons here for us. We want to get these down and recap. There's two doors in life if you're here this morning and you're unsaved. One of them is the door to sin. The other one is the door to salvation. One will help you with your problems. The other one will destroy you with your problems. And then you'll either get into a church of an open door that has the right Bible that gives you the right things, or you'll get into a church with a closed door who gives you the things of the world. And you want to remember now, he's a type of the Antichrist, he's a type of the unsaved man, he's a type of the nation of Israel. And the law first mentioned, we saw six things. The first twins in the Bible, 
The first time the word sin is in the Bible. The first murderer in the Bible. First seared conscience in the Bible. First man to leave God's presence like his father did. First man to build a city when God's plan was a garden. And you have here a, a, a study of a man's issues with God. Saved or lost, our issues, whether you're saved this morning or you're lost, the issues that we have that's affecting your attitude this morning will start right here. It'll start right here. We like to blame others for our inadequacies. We like to blame others for our this or that. And uh, it's a thing where, you know what? It's, it's, we're, it's all on us as individuals. Amen. And now next week we get together, we're going to walk through some more things here. But you got a great lesson, an opening lesson on John 8, 44. And you learned a lot today about the patterns of unsaved people. Hopefully next week we'll at least see some more and we'll get some things going and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Let's have a word of prayer and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll get on with what we're doing. Father, we do thank you.